the Gospel lesson is written in the 26th chapter of Matthew, beginning at the 26th verse. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Last year, I retired my old Jeep. I'd been driving it for 18 years, and it had over 300,000 miles on it. It was time. I got a new car, one that did not require me to tote around jumper cables in the back end or worry that I might end up stranded while traveling alone at night. You know, these new vehicles have so many great features, things that just didn't exist in the days of my old Jeep. I'm still discovering them. Uh, One I'm particularly thrilled to have is heated seats in the wintertime. One morning, while driving to church, a dinging noise and an alert message confused me. These words appeared on the dashboard. Turn signal on. That made no sense to me. My signal was on. And how did the car know I needed to turn anyway? It took a moment for me to realize that what those three words were really saying. Turn signal on. It was telling me my turn signal had been on for a while. Well, yes, I'd made three right turns in succession, signaling all the way. Uh, That set off the alert. Actually, my confusion was pretty funny uh, once I figured it out. I was obviously having a blonde moment, but it just points out how confusing and imprecise language can be. Sometimes we might jump to a conclusion about the meaning of three little words, and that conclusion could be totally off base. Uh, Sometimes three little words can be important. Important enough to make sure we understand their meaning. Body and blood. We'll be sharing Holy Communion today in which we receive the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I've heard our worshipers asking questions about Holy Communion, and so I want to spend some time today talking about body and blood, and the very big meaning of these three little words. So we're going to examine the instructions and cautions of Scripture regarding Holy Communion, and we'll look at the historical practice and understanding of this sacrament. Now here's the gospel lesson that I just read. The setting is the Last Supper. Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. Holy Communion is celebrated then for the first time. Jesus and his disciples have gathered for this annual springtime feast of the Jews called Passover. It's a holy day that commemorates events centuries earlier when the Jews escaped slavery in Egypt. 
In the Old Testament book of Exodus, we hear the story of the events that are commemorated in the Passover feast. Despite punishing plagues and God's thunderous demands to let my people go, Pharaoh will not allow the Jewish people or Israelites, as they were known then, to leave slavery in Egypt. And then God sends last plague, more terrible than any before. The firstborn males in all of Egypt will die at midnight. But God spares the Israelites from all this death. He orders them to slaughter a lamb and then smear some of its blood on the sides and tops of the door frames of their houses. The houses are then marked as the places of those faithful to God, the homes of his people. When God strikes death throughout Egypt, he will then pass over the houses marked with blood. The Jews celebrate this Passover feast yearly to commemorate these events, events that underscore God's saving grace on his people. So when Jesus and his disciples sit down to this Passover dinner, they eat roasted lamb and bitter herbs and bread without leaven, just as their Jewish ancestors had been doing for over a thousand years. They drink wine at this feast. And then Jesus transforms the Passover meal into something new, something mystical and holy. I've highlighted two phrases in Jesus' words here. Look at what he says in the gospel lesson. The bread is his body, the wine is his blood. Jesus gives his body and blood to the disciples and for them. His painful death by crucifixion will be accomplished within the next 24 hours. Jesus becomes the new lamb dying in agony, his blood dripping down the wooden cross just as the blood of the lamb had run down the wooden doorpost centuries earlier. When Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, he underscores this. God's loving covenants, both old and new, are about the salvation of his people. Jesus' disciples follow his instructions to continue to do this in remembrance of him, and they preach and teach this practice to those who become the next generation of followers. Now, here's the most famous image of the Last Supper painted by Leonardo da Vinci at the end of the 1400s. We have four records in scripture of the institution of Holy Communion. Uh, Here are the places they can be found. Matthew 26, which is today's gospel reading. Also, Mark 14 and Luke 22 The earliest description actually appears in Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 11. All these narratives agree that Jesus calls the bread and wine at this meal his body and blood. The accounts are consistent. The words are plain and simple. This is my body. This is my blood. You might wonder... What did the earliest Christians believe about Holy Communion? 
this does seem important. The apostles were with Christ at the Last Supper. The first generation of Christians learned from them what happened, what was said, what it meant. A complete explanation would be helpful to be sure that the literal understanding is what the early church taught. Knowing what the earliest Christians believed is important because they're continuing the teaching of the apostles who received these things directly from Christ. We know about the early Christian celebration of Holy Communion from early documents created soon after the books of the New Testament were written. There was a great churchman named Justin who writes one of the best early descriptions. Actually, he's usually referred to as Justin Martyr to remember the manner of his death in the year 165. Living in the time when Christianity was illegal in the Roman Empire, Justin's executed for declaring his faith in Jesus Christ. Justin Martyr provides a good, detailed description of the practice and belief about Holy Communion. Here's a bit of what he says. The bread and a cup of wine mixed with water are brought forth. The worship leader offers praise in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The worship leader speaks prayers and thanksgiving. And then all the people say, Amen. The bread and wine are then presented to all those who are baptized and believe in Jesus Christ. The bread and wine are not received as common food and drink, but blessed by the word, they become the flesh and blood of Jesus. As a Lutheran pastor, I would agree with Justin Martyr's explanation. What we believe about Holy Communion echoes the teachings that are recorded in Scripture and have been passed down through the church. There are other great churchmen all over the Roman Empire continuing to write about faith in the early church during the time of illegality. Among those faithful early Christians are Irenaeus of Lyon, Origen, and Cyprian of Carthage. Their writings repeat the belief that the true presence of Christ's body and blood are in Holy Communion. After the year 312, Christianity is legal in the empire. Even after uh, the Roman Empire eventually fractures into eastern and western halves, the church in both the east and the west continues to teach that Christ's body and blood are truly present in the sacrament. The Christian church in the western area eventually, after centuries, becomes known as the Roman Catholic Church. The Christian church in the eastern area eventually becomes known as the Orthodox Church. Christians, both east and west, continue to agree on the presence of the body and blood in the sacrament. This belief continues from the time of the earliest Christians until the Reformation in the 1500s. It's then in the 16th century that there are some new Protestant groups, and they start teaching that the bread and wine are just symbolic of Christ's body and blood. This is a new idea, something that rejects the clarity of Scripture and the way Scripture had been interpreted through the centuries 
up until the time of the earliest Christians. Martin Luther, however, insists on the historic and scriptural understanding of Holy Communion by the power of God's word. The true body and blood are present in the bread and wine of which Christ commands us to eat and drink. We believe this is most certainly true because Jesus says it is so. And the church has declared through history that this is the way the words of Christ are understood. We do not break with the long history of Christian faith. Holy communion is for Christian believers. After all, why would someone come forward to receive the sacrament if they do not believe in Christ and his promises? The Apostle Paul warns about this in 1 Corinthians 11. He writes, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now keep in mind that this instruction from Paul records the teaching, belief, and practice of the church in the middle of the first century. So this is just a few years after the crucifixion and resurrection. At first glance, these words of Paul might seem rather harsh, but it's actually a direction based on love and caring for each person. Those receiving the Lord's Supper without understanding should be instructed and help to grow in faith. A believer who doesn't even know enough to ask for forgiveness before receiving the sacrament needs some instruction too. The word judgment here doesn't refer to an eternity in hell, but refers instead to receiving the bread and wine sinfully. So the idea behind the passage is to lovingly protect others from taking Holy Communion without understanding and faith. Because of this, many churches today practice what is called closed communion, welcoming only their own members to the Lord's Supper. This is a traditional restriction uh, in the Christian church throughout most of history. The purpose is to restrict access for those who might be wrongly receiving the sacrament without contrition, without understanding. Here at Faith, we practice open communion, welcoming all Christian believers to the table with an explanatory announcement. Rather than make the pastor the altar police force, uh, the announcement says clearly that you are welcome to come forward if you're a baptized Christian truly believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and believing in the presence of his body and blood in the sacrament. It's not that the scriptural guidelines for communion have changed. We just ask each individual to self-police rather than putting the pastor in charge of it. That's the difference between open and closed communion. Now, I know some of you are wanting to ask a question. You're wanting to ask about transubstantiation, right? Most of you have heard that word. It describes the Roman Catholic teaching 
Uh, and here you see the current Pope Francis saying the words of institution. Like Lutherans, Roman Catholics believe in the real presence of Christ's body and blood in this sacrament. However, transubstantiation adds something to this. It says that the bread and wine completely transform into the body and blood. Although it may look like that bread and wine are still there, it's just a visual accident. With transubstantiation, the bread and wine actually cease to exist when the priest says the words of institution. This explanation goes several steps beyond what we actually find in scripture. As Lutherans, we say, yes, it's the body and blood of Christ. Jesus says so. Scripture makes that clear. We know we receive uh, it with the bread and wine. We receive Christ's true body and blood. Let's not employ human philosophy for further explanation beyond what the scripture says. If you grew up in the Lutheran church, you learned all this in Sunday school and confirmation class. Uh, many of our members have come from other traditions, though. Uh, so let me share some practical advice that Martin Luther has for us as we prepare for this holy sacrament today. Recognizing the power of the blessing being given and the forgiveness of sins we receive through Christ, we pray first. We confess our sins. We believe in Jesus as our Savior and in his words regarding this sacrament. We plan to change our sinful ways and follow the ways of Christ as we remember his sacrifice on the cross. Luther tells us to pray and confess before going up for Holy Communion. Many people fast or refrain from eating uh, that day until after Holy Communion. But this is not a requirement. After receiving the Lord's Supper and returning to their seats, most people pray again. We believe in the truth of Scripture. We embrace the historic and scriptural practice of Holy Communion and the teaching that goes back to the early church. Whenever the Lord's Supper is shared, the church proclaims the death of Christ for your sins. You have the opportunity to receive this great gift today. Believe, eat, and drink. Give thanks. Amen. Let's sing together hymn 200.